I hope um, everybody's doing well at home this evening. Um, we, uh, we have had, you know, a pretty good little, little uptick in COVID cases over the past couple weeks, so we just wanted to uh, be careful this week and last week. We will be coming back. Everybody will be coming back on Sunday. Um, our staff, it will be out of the five-day zone. The CDC, if you look it up, has now uh, made the quarantine to just five days instead of several days like it was last year or whenever that was. But um, So, thank you for understanding and know that we would much rather, as I said last Sunday, we would much rather have everyone here uh, together with us than us be by ourselves in a big empty sanctuary talking to a camera. We love you, want to be with you. That's why we, that's why we do this because we love God and we love you. So, um, Well, let's begin tonight. We're going to be in First Peter. So go ahead and get your Bible out and go to the letter of First Peter. And if you have your Stringfellow book, you can get that out. Remember, what we're doing here is we're going through Dr. Stringfellow's book that was made back in the early 70s. Very good theologian. Uh, he went to the, uh, or he was a professor at the seminary uh, that I graduated from, Southwestern of Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, so it's a, it's a really good study. You, uh, obviously, there's different theological interpretations in the book that you may or may not agree with, but uh, that's that's just part of of being in Christianity, is having different interpretations of different passages. We'll do the announcements at the end, so we'll hang on to those and prayer requests as well. So once again, um, and just, just some quick announcements for everybody tuning in. Uh, we canceled everything this week, so there's no senior adult uh, luncheon tomorrow. The men's breakfast on Saturday is canceled, so every, all of that is, uh, is, is done. Uh, I will make one announcement right here at the beginning uh, to, to, so I don't forget. Um, Paige Russell... Uh, the young lady that uh, that is a member of our church moved down here about a year ago. Uh, she is moving uh, this coming Monday. Moving this coming Monday, and we will need some help uh, moving her. We'll get information out to everybody probably tomorrow on the details of that. But just wanted you to know uh, that if you got some you got some folks out there with some strong backs and are willing to help this Monday to help Paige Russell move. So, all right, First Peter. Well, let's get after it. You got your Bible open, ready to go. The book of First Peter. So the apostle Peter was originally named Simon, and that's a common Greek name. And the Hebrew equivalent being Simeon, he gives you a reference of Acts fifteen fourteen. Jesus gave him a new name, and the name is Cephas, with an Aramaic or Peter in the Greek. And you'll have to forgive me, but I'm going to have to take sips off this coffee pretty much all night long. So. So the name Simon Peter, uh, the name Simon Peter means the same person. So when you hear Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, the same, the same individual. Most everybody that has been a Christian for any amount of time and read the Bible knows that. So uh, the name Peter means a little rock. And as you know, the famous statement, and on this uh, rock I shall build my church. Jesus says that in Matthew. And he's talking about Peter's profession of faith that he will build his church upon. So Peter means little rock. Uh, the rock which the church is built upon is the rock Jesus Christ. Just talked about that, Matthew 16, 18. That is a great passage to go to and, uh, and study if you never have. Uh, that that uh, engagement that, that Peter has with Jesus right there is uh, uh, just a classic, well-known exchange uh, that Jesus has with him. Peter was the son of a Jew named John or Jonas, Peter had one brother. Uh, we've been going through Luke, uh, so if you've come to uh, some messages 
over the past several months, you've, you've heard this uh, at the lake of, uh, at the uh, Galilee, at the Galilee Lake, um, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus called Andrew, Peter, those fishermen, called them from their trades uh, to follow him. So Peter had one brother whose name was Andrew. They lived on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in Bethsaida, and they were fishermen. Just talked about that. Uh, Peter, I, l- I like the way that he does this. He kind of gives you some, uh, some themes that go with each apostle in the Bible. Peter has been called the apostle of hope. Paul has been called the apostle of faith. And then John, and what has he been called? The apostle of love, exactly. I think most everybody identifies John as the apostle of love. The book of 1 Peter, if you look in the opening few verses, was written to the sojourners of the dispersion. The sojourners of the dispersion. Uh, This was a term used for those Jewish believers who were scattered to that part of the world we know now as Asia Minor. So remember, the persecution had caused believers to scatter everywhere outside of Jerusalem. Its purpose is to encourage and strengthen during a time of conflict and trial. So how appropriate is that for us in our day and time? So the book is always relevant, and it's, he says it's relevant for our day, but it's always relevant because somewhere, somewhere, Christians are going through conflict and trial somewhere on earth all the time. That's just a, that's just a given. The central message is found in the first chapter, verse 3, this wonderful blessed, this doxology that he gives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, that sums up Christianity right there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I mean, Jesus, through his resurrection, has saved us. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what he's done, and it's available for anybody that comes to him in faith and trust. The structure of the book is fairly simple. It's got five chapters, three, three, three major movements through the, through the letter, rather, the letter. The living hope, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 10. The Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through, four, chap, uh, through chapter 4, verse 11. And then the Lord's return in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 5, 14. So you've got the living hope, which would be the theological foundation on which we, we, we have our, our lives built upon. Then the Christian life, how that should look in our lives. And then we live in anticipation of Christ's return. So those three phases, the living hope, the Christian life, and then the return of Christ, and then the hereafter and eternity. Okay, so that's the structure of the book. Fairly simple. So immediately after the salutation, Peter gives a marvelous doxology in verse 3. And a doxology is just, just this explosion of praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Remember that? We used to sing that uh, in, in church all the time. I remember as a child... At First Baptist Church, at the end of every worship service, we all sang that, leaving, leaving the church. Remember it like it was yesterday. So that's a doxology, this, this, this uh, instantaneous moment of praise. You just, you're thinking about something that's so wonderful, and you just explode in praise and, and joy. And this is the central message of the letter of First Peter. So this praise to God for his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope 
by the, res- by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand up so I can get a little bit more animated, if that's okay. Nathan, is that okay if I stand up? Can you still see me okay on the, on the camera back there? All right, play some music. I might dance for it, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. So the wonderful hope is expanded in verse 5, kept by the power of God through faith. So you look at verse 5, kept, who by God's power are being guarded or kept. I've got the ESV. I'm not sure. I think he used the King James Version years ago. Uh, Are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this wonderful hope is expanded in verse 5, kept by the power of God through faith. And then he says in verses 7, 8, and 13, we see other benefits of the living hope through testing, rejoicing, and hope to the end. And you'll see this theme all through Christianity, which no matter what you experience, what what trials or hardships you experience as a believer, all of these things work together to to form you more and more into the image of Jesus. that's That's what our life is, this sanctifying effect. Once we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's this sanctifying effect, the trials and tribulations, the testing, how we respond, go to the word of God, follow the Spirit's promptings in our heart, uh, you know, reject sin, embrace holiness, and try to live our life unstained by the world, okay? So the Old Testament prophets did not understand about the coming and work of the Messiah. Uh, and I put this reference in there for you in Matthew thirteen seventeen, where it says, for truly, this is Jesus, I believe speaking about the parable of the sower, he says, for truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So even the prophets spoke, I mean, they prophesied, they were obedient to God and spoke, but they did not understand the full ramification of what they were writing down and what they were saying. They, they didn't. Then he also says the angels even desired to look upon the things concerning Christ. And you see that in chapter 1. If you go down to verse 12, it was not revealed. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So think about that. We know more than the angels know with the revelation of God that we have. That's pretty cool. That is pretty neat. So verses 13 through 17 is our high calling in Christ and how we should live. So let's just read that since that's a pretty, some pretty important verses there. So if you join me for First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. And how much of your conduct is supposed to be holy? All of your conduct is supposed to be holy. What is seen by men and what is not seen by men. What is public and what is private is all supposed to be holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, 
conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, etc. So that's the high calling in Christ, is to live a holy life. No matter what is befalling you, live a holy life. No matter what the struggle is, no matter what the persecution is, no matter what the difficulty, focus on Christ, live a holy life for him. Whoops, sorry. So we are how we are redeemed. He says to underline verse 18 and 19, I put them in here um, in, the, uh, in the presentation so you can see them without having to look them up, but you can look them up if you want to. So knowing, <clears throat> verse 18, that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with pre- the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What he means by that is there's always, there are always things that our forefathers, those that came before us, believed that were wrong. Uh, traditions that they passed down that were wrong. Whether Jew or Gentile, he's specifically uh, speaking to Jews, but, but Gentiles as well. Uh, Paul would call these the elemental principles of the world. Why would we go back to those elemental principles of the world uh, when we know something different now? I know just, just one example that I always use on that would be evolution. Uh, evolution is taught by and large uh, through, the, uh, through the school systems, through the universities and whatnot. And from a very young age, we are just flooded with this belief that we evolved from apes millions of years ago and so forth. And so we, we live with that. But then the gospel comes crashing in on us and the Bible teaches us something different, totally different. The Bible teaches us that we are created uniquely by God. Adam and Eve were the two first people on earth. Adam created first, Eve created from his rib and that the whole human race comes from them. There is no evolution. We are not We did not evolve from apes. We are a unique creation. Uh, So it's those types of things that we've we've been freed from that. We've been freed from those lies, freed from those dark, from that darkness, and now we live for Jesus through his blood, okay? That's what he's talking about. Not exactly, but I'm just trying to give you an example, okay? At verse 20, we find the word foreordained, which is foreknowledge, as in verse 2, a subject hard to comprehend for most people, but let us explain in easy terms. And let me just say this, uh, just to give you a, just a, a, some pastoral-friendly advice. Don't get too overwhelmed, don't get too obsessed, for lack of a better word, with foreordained, foreknowledge, election, predestination, those types of things. They will drive you absolutely crazy. Um, there's, I mean, for every theologian that you talk to, you'll get, you'll get some kind of different interpretation of that, and, and it can absolutely drive you mad. So don't, don't allow that to happen. Just believe them as they are expressed in the scripture and let it be at that. And he, do, he does a pretty decent job of explaining this. So foreknowledge, election, and predestination are in that order. The foreknowledge determines the election or choice, and predestination is the bringing to pass of election. Election looks back to foreknowledge. Predestination looks forward to the destiny. The foreknown are elected, and the elect, those who accept Christ of their own free will, and there's a lot of people that would, that would argue with that, are, predestin- are predestinated, and this election is certain to every believer by the mere fact that he believes. Now, he cites C.I. Schofield here, and uh, of course, the Schofield Study Bible, I have not seen one in 10 to 15 years. Um, back when I first started in ministry, there was a few 
uh, there was a few older saints that, uh, that carried his study Bible or a Ryrie study Bible. You may have heard of Ryrie study Bible. And this was kind of the... the this was kind of the pendulum swing into pre-tribulation dispensational theology uh, back, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago was, was, was when that type of theology kind of was, was like the dominant one in the church. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's sound theology. Uh, it's, uh, there's, there's hundreds of the, thousands of theologians that believe that, and there's others that disagree with it, but it's one of these things that you, just, you have to be able to um, be peaceful about it and be charitable toward others if they don't believe exactly the way you believe. And so um, Dr. Stringfellow is giving a pretty sound explanation of the, of the majority belief at the time this Bible study was written, okay? Romans eight twenty eight put the scripture in there for us uh, to, uh, to tie what he said back to the word. And we know that for those who love God, all things, say it with me, work together for good. That is a bedrock passage, a bedrock scripture for us as believers. I, I cling to it on a daily basis. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So again, uh, just one more statement on that. You're not going to, it doesn't matter what your view on, on, that, on that incredible deep theology, you're going to be hard pressed to find an explanation that satisfies both sides. So you really have to live at peace with, with people who have a different perspective as you. Uh, that is the reason why our Baptist faith and message is written the way it is on those matters uh, in there is so there's plenty of room for those that, that believe in more of a, of, a, of a more strong election view and in a free will view. Okay, just do not let that drive you crazy. I've known so many people that, have, that have, they have let that wonderful theology in the Bible drive them absolutely mad and make them hate other believers that have a differing view. It's, it's, that's, that's not God's intention here. So please hear me on that. All right, so let's continue. First Peter 1, 22 through chapter two, verse three. So we're still in the living hope, which is section one. So the living word, the living word, we have been born again by the word of God and it will never pass away. So let's look at that. Chapter, first Peter chapter one, verse 22 and uh, through 2, 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, and then he cites, I believe that is Isaiah. Yes, Isaiah, if your Bible, and the way I knew that is, I mean, I don't know the word of God that well that I can tell you every citation in the Old Testament, but my Bible is the ESV Bible, and it's got a notation right there. It's got a little letter, a little little bitty small letter right out beside it. It's a little letter B, and if you look down in the bottom of your Bible, there's a little letter B down there, and out beside that little letter B, say, say that five times real fast, little, little, letter, little, little, you can't do it. By that little letter B, it says Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8. So, Peter is showing the fulfillment of those verses from Isaiah in his letter by citing them right here. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord 
remains forever. That's what he means by that. We've been born again by the word of God and it will never pass away. Then if you look in chapter two, he says, notice the wherefore. Now, my Bible doesn't say wherefore, it says so. Uh, so it says, it continues the subject of the living word. Then he says to memorize and write verse two, but I put it in the presentation for you. Please write, if you want to write it down. I will tell you, that is one of the best ways to learn the word of God uh, is, to, is to just take, take you a notepad Pick a book of the Bible. Uh, if you've never done it before, pick one that's not real long so you don't get tired in doing it. Uh, but, but, but pick a book of the Bible and just begin to, to write it. Just, you know, just write it in a, in a notebook and write, write maybe two pages a day. It will amaze you um, how that helps you learn, learn the word of God. So verse, verse two, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse two is what he wants us to look at. Uh, like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So it is living word. <clears throat> That's why he says like newborn infants, like a baby that is alive, a newborn infant and how that baby cries and screams and hungers for, for milk from, from the child's mother, we as God's children should hunger for the spiritual milk, for the, for the nurturing in the word of God, for this living word, so when they grow up, uh, to grow up and be mature, as Paul would say, not being tossed to and fro by every wind and scheme, that wind of doctrine and scheme of man, okay? Oops, sorry. In Peter 2, 4 through 10, did it again. In Peter 2, 4 through 10, we see the living stone. So go there to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, so the word is living, Jesus is living, and, the, uh, and as you come to him, a living stone, we being living stones, and what, what, uh, what Peter is doing here is he is, is he is giving you some temple imagery. Uh, like the, the temple, the Old Testament temple was built up of all these big, huge, beautiful stones, well, he is drawing the imagery saying that we, are, that we are stones as well being built up into a spiritual house, but we are living stones, living stones, right? So we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. So as you come to him, I'm in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. He's talking about the church. That's what we are. We are we are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. That is what the church is. That's what you are. That's what I am, he's talking about. For it stands in scripture, verse six, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And who is that him? Who is that? Jesus Christ, exactly right, okay? So in this first <clears throat> section, 
Peter speaks of the living hope, the living word, and the living stone. Okay, it's real simple, real simple. This first section through verse 10, living hope, living word, living stone. Now go back just a second. I'm <coughs> sorry about that. Uh, I want you to, to look at this one, these, these few verses right here. We, we definitely need to, to read these because th- these verses are great. In chapter two, verse nine, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Man, that sounds just like the way Israel was described in the Old Testament. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were not a people, you were out of covenant with God, but now you are God's people once you had, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just had, had, had to read that. It's a, great, it's a great passage. So we are now priests of God, having access to God, and it is a birthright of every believer. Now, not picking on Roman Catholicism, but I want to just mention this just for a second. That is one major difference, one major difference between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. In Roman Catholicism, in order to have your sins forgiven and all those types of things, you have to go to a priest and go to confession, okay? You don't have to do that. We don't believe the scripture teaches that. We believe we go directly to God through our high priest who is Jesus Christ. Now, there's there's no problem There's no issue with confessing to one another. That's a good thing to do. The Bible says we should confess our sins to one another. But we don't have to to be forgiven. We don't have to. Okay, I mean, if that's true, that's a work. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. His atoning blood has, has forever solved that. Forever solved that, okay? Let's move on. All right, next section. Go ahead and get it all out there. The Christian life, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 4, 11. So this section begins with dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. We sense a change here as Peter begins to tell us about the Christian life and how to live it. Christian life and how to live it. We refrain from fleshly lusts, okay? If you look at verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, okay? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's why you can't be, that's why we don't need to be real harsh as believers, you know? Uh, that's, uh, you know, you hear me talk about Scott Horde a, a, a good deal. It's Scott Horde with Operation Saving Life, uh, of all the men that I've known through the years, and women for that matter, that, that have been in the abortion fight, uh, he by far has been one of the more gracious, loving, caring, gentle, gently spoken uh, men that I, that I have ever seen in, in that ministry. And I personally believe that is one of the reasons why uh, his ministry is so fruitful is because he is a reflection uh, of the scripture, uh, of being gentle, calling, calling people away from that in a gentle, loving way and bringing them real help. 
So the Christian life and how to live it, we refrain from fleshly lust. Now that should go without saying. I mean, it really should, but unfortunately, um, we, we have to say it. We have to say it because we still struggle with carnality as believers. Um, that's just the way it is. He, now he uses some interesting terminology to be above board with things. Uh, to be above board, that means just to be honest. Uh, you know, to not use trickery or deceit or, or uh, you know, try to be shrewd and make sure you get the best deal out of what you're trying to do. I mean, just be upfront and honest. Be obedient, just to be obedient. Uh, that's in uh, verse 13 where it says to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Boy, that's, 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 that's a hard one. That's a hard one to listen to. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I will say, since we talked about the abortion issue, this is one area where you do not submit to the government. You do not submit to the federal government on the issue of abortion. It is clear that, that the government has gotten that wrong. Uh, that is one area where the government is actually endorsing evil and punishing good, okay? Uh, th- th- and that's why we peaceably rebel against that. And that's why we actively work against that as Baptists and, and other Christians work against that because we will not submit to the government on that because we believe that is, that is morally wrong, okay? Uh, four, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and here's three words that'll freak you out. Honor the emperor, honor the emperor. And Christians had no problem during the time of, of the Roman Empire in honoring the emperor. But what made the Roman em- Empire so angry is that Christians refused to worship the Roman emperor as a god because they deified them. From Caesar Augustus forward, the emperor was seen as a divine, as a, as a divine presence in Rome and Christians would not have that. There was one Lord and Savior and that was Jesus Christ. But it's, it's very interesting to see even in that context uh, the persecution of, of, the, of the church, you still see the apostolic witness saying, honor the emperor, honor, honor the, the governmental institutions that are ordained by God because they're put there by him. So it's very, very, very interesting, okay? Let's move on. The Christian life and how to live it, still going down that road. Um, we are to act right on the job. So look at verse 18. Again, we are in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What do you think about that? Let me, let me read it again just to be sure that, that, that everybody out there is getting what Peter's saying here. Servants, other translations might say slave. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, not only to those masters that are good to you and gentle to you, but also to the unjust. Be sure you're getting this. This is the Bible. This is the apostle Peter giving us this command in the New Testament for us today in modern America, okay? 
For this is, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Wow. Wow. Now let's keep going. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Wow. So we are returned sheep, if we believe, to the shepherd and bishop of our souls because of the sufferings of Christ on the cross, verses 21 to 25, which we just read some. Verse 24 is a good definition of atonement. I'll read that. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And this kind of is in the same, like in the same realm of, of, of what, what I say a lot, um, you know, from the pulpit when I'm talking about one of the things that, that gets me up every day, because it really does, it really does get me up every day, is to know that, that Christ and God, that they're in control, that nothing escapes their knowledge, nothing is hidden from them, and one day, one day the eastern sky is gonna break open and Jesus is gonna return and, and judgment is coming. And, and on that day, uh, everybody who has been treated unjustly will be exonerated and the wicked will be punished. I mean, and that, that is a fact. That is a fact that that's gonna happen. And so every day of our lives, uh, we, can, we can live our lives holy for God and, and allow these terrible things to befall us from time to time from unjust people because we know that's gonna happen in the future. And sometimes, I, and I would say this, it's a test of faith uh, and, 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 your, um, and your testimony if you really believe that or not. I mean, because a true Christian believes that. A true Christian knows that. That it doesn't matter what befalls us in this life. It doesn't matter. One day God's gonna set it all straight and we're gonna be with him for eternity in heaven forever. So just remember that, okay? The Christian life in the home, 1 Peter 3, one through seven. These are some wonderful passages to remind us what our, the order of our home is supposed to be like. Um, and if there is one area that is severely, severely deficient um, within Christendom in America, I would say is professing Christians to actually have a, a Christian-ordered home. Uh, it, is not, um, it is not popular. Uh, it, is, uh, it is attacked and ridiculed. Um, discipline in the home of children is attacked and ridiculed. Uh, the proper order uh, of the husband and wife in, uh, in uh, submission and love is ridiculed. Uh, as you know, uh, same-sex marriage proliferates. So even uh, traditional marriage of, of a man and a woman is ridiculed. Uh, that is the culture in which we live. And so if there, was ever, if there was ever a time that the church of Jesus Christ needs to honor marriage, it's now. It's right now. So, what does the Bible say? What does Peter say <clears throat> about the Christian life in the home in these seven verses? <clears throat> Excuse me. Likewise, this is First uh, Peter chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, 
so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Verse three, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the, to the woman as the weaker vessel. Woo, did y'all hear that? Let me read that again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And here's why you do all that. This is, this is the punchline of these few verses right here. And it, it is good. Peter says that you do that, you treat your wife in that honorable way because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered. So if you want your prayers to be heard by God, Peter's telling us, the apostle Peter is saying, honor your wife, honor her, love her, do well by her, and your prayers will not be hindered. So summarize, a wife can often win her husband by her conduct. Inward adornment wins the lost husband. Husbands are to love and honor their wives, and the ideal marriage is one based on Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the Christian in the church, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, okay? Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and humble mind. Do not pay, um, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, just go over this, then we'll, then we'll, then we'll move on. So the Christian in the church, so how do, how do we behave as believers in the church? Much in the same fashion reflected as what we see in the home and vice versa. So be of one mind, uh, love each other, have compassion, shun evil, uh, be ready to give an answer of the, of, the, of the hope to anybody that asks you, you know, why do you have this hope? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you seem so joyful? You know, why do you go to church? Why do you believe the Bible? You know, you know give a reason for that because Jesus Christ, Jesus came, lived, died on Calvary's cross, came out of that grave, and I have my hope and my salvation in him. So just be prepared to give that reason for the hope you have. They'll go, oh, oh no, man, I just, I just go to church because I like the, the, the color of the church and I've got friends there and, and uh, I like to, you know, sing in the choir. No, that's, all those things are fine. 
But the reason why you have the hope you have is not because of this building and not because of these chairs and not because we got a great music ministry or, or, or a pastor that you, that you like. It is because of Jesus Christ and him alone. Him alone. So when somebody asks you that question, if anything else comes out of you, you need, you need to check your heart because something's wrong. There's one reason and one reason only that you come here and that's because this place represents Jesus, period, okay? Be willing to suffer well for doing good, verse 17. Let's see, for it is better to suffer for doing good that uh, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So let me back up and read that whole little passage for you there before we move on. Uh, so back up, First Peter chapter three. Let's begin in verse uh, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, meaning those that are, that are persecuting you, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, and here, here's the reason why I think Scott Hoard is so popular. <clears throat> do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will <clears throat> than for doing evil. Okay, all right, let's move on. Oops, sorry. Christ suffered for our sins. We come now to one of the most difficult of all passages in the Bible, verses 17 through the end here. And I went ahead and put in the statement, uh, in the uh, Stringfellow study, there was a statement in there from W.A. Criswell, and we will read through it. Um, but just know, this would be a wonderful discussion for the difficult questions in the Bible series that we're going to be doing in the context of spiritual warfare. Uh, once we finish the Stringfellow study, we're going to have a celebration night where we come together and celebrate studying the Bible for, for over a year. And then when we start out on the hard questions and, the, uh, and spiritual warfare, you know, we do those questions, this would be a great question that we could research for you and give you a little bit more uh, thorough uh, explanation than what I'm going to have to give you tonight because we're, we're running short on time, okay? <clears throat> so let me just read it. Let me just read it. <clears throat> for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. In which... He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, that's the big question. What, who are these spirits in prison? And we just don't know exactly the answer to that. There are several interpretations, uh, uh, two or three interpretations of what this may mean. But I'm going to give you one, one big one tonight. Because they formally, these spirits that were in prison, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, so he's talking about Noah's flood and baptism corresponding to that, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, while I've got, got this live feed up and I just read that, let me be sure 
that, that there's somebody out there that doesn't misunderstand this. He's not saying that being baptized in water saves you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that what the baptism represents is what saves you. So the salvation is represented in the baptism. Uh, most every, almost no one believes anymore that, that the actual act of, of dunking somebody in water saves them. The salvation, Paul spends just about his entire life as an apostle explaining that is not the case. Circumcision, baptism doesn't matter. It is an issue, it's a circumcision of the heart. It is a belief and trust in Jesus Christ, who he is, his life, his death, his resurrection. It, it is a belief in him, okay? Just want to be sure that's clear. All right, so what does this mean? And this is, uh, W.A. Criswell um, was, a, was the uh, pastor of First Baptist Dallas from 1944 <clears throat> to 1987. Now, if you don't know who W.A. Criswell is, I would highly recommend that you go online and, and Google him some. His whole resource library is out there. W.A. Criswell was probably one of the most influential Baptist preachers in America for 50 years. Um, First Baptist Dallas is the church it is today. Because, I mean, obviously because of God, but, but God's ministry done through uh, W.A. Criswell. Now, he, he's, he's been dead for a while now. I think it was 2000, early 2000s, I think he died. Uh, but this is his interpretation of this passage. And since Dr. Stringfellow put it in his book, I'm going to read it out of respect for, for his work. Um, but I, I, you'll, ju- you'll just, and you'll just have to study this on your own time. But let me just read it to you. Our problem begins with the words by which spirit he went and preached to the spirits in prison. What does that mean? Christ was put to death in the flesh, but was quickened, and that's kind of an old way of saying uh, strengthened, quickened, just made stronger, something like that, but was quickened in the spirit. His spirit was quickened, and in that spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. He did not go to preach to the spirits in prison when he was raised from the dead, as the King James Version seems to imply. Let me go over that again. It was not when Christ was raised from the dead in his new resurrection body he went down to Hades and preaches to the spirits. The text says that being put to death, he was quickened in the spirit, in which spirit he went down into Hades to preach to the spirits in prison. Before Christ was incarnate, he was pure spirit, and he was glorious in spiritual majesty. When Christ was separated from his body, his spirit was quickened, made alive. When our Lord suffered and died, he went down where in the days of his flesh he could not have gone. And he, he uh, talks about Paul talking about the same thing in different words in Ephesians 4, 8, 9. Paul says our Lord in his death descended into the lower parts of the earth into a Jewish people. This means that when he descended into the lower parts of the earth, it was another world, Hades. Both Paul and Peter wrote the same thing. Jesus was quickened by the Spirit, in which Spirit he went and preached to the spirits in prison before he was raised from the dead. Why does the apostle speak only of those in the days of Noah? What about all the other spirits who were no less disobedient in other periods? We may suppose these are excluded because they are not named, but that is not so. Peter was deeply impressed by the flood of Noah. In 2 Peter 2, 5, he speaks of the Noahic flood. In 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6, he speaks of it again. So the flood made a great impression on his mind. So when Christ went down to Hades, he went to herald and proclaim. There are many, many other interpretations. He most likely, meaning Jesus, proclaimed the news of a finished redemption 
spelling doom and torment and glory in paradise, and he cites Luke 16, 19 through 31. And then we are identified with Christ in baptism. So that's just one interpretation. I would encourage you, go out, Google it. There's several great websites. If you've got any questions, you can email me at the church office. I can give you uh, some really solid uh, other, other theological sources that you can read up on this. My personal belief is that it's, it's fallen angels, uh, that Christ went and preached uh, to, 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 to fallen angels that were the spirits in prison, uh, but I don't know that I'm right either. It's just there's several other cross-references in the New Testament that you can pull into that and, and that, that kind of that support that, I believe. So, all right, so let's move on. The Christian life endures suffering. So it gives, what else does the, uh, how does the Christian life, how do, we, how do we endure suffering? How do we endure suffering? It gives victory over the old nature, we can no longer be satisfied to live in the flesh. So if you look at chapter four, there, verses one through 11, and that is so true, uh, that, that's one of the, uh, to me, that's always been one of the indicators that I was truly born again, was that I no longer got enjoyment, satisfaction, nor, nor did I deeply desire to continue the lifestyle that I left when, when I was saved. Um, those, I mean, I'm not going to say I've never been tempted. I have been, but, but it's never been a deep longing desire. It, it has not, that, that, that left, that left when I got saved. And so you have victory over the old nature. So that old person by the vast majority should be gone. I think as one preacher said something like this, he said, Thank God I'm not who I need to be or who I should be, but I'm not who I was. I think that really sums it up, okay? Uh, Then he talks about the coming of the Lord in verse seven. Uh, Let's see, yeah, the end of all things. If you look at uh, 1 Peter chapter four, verse seven, the coming of the Lord inspires Christian living. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, um, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified in Christ Jesus. And then that's basically what he says in the next one. We are to love the brethren and be kind to them. Use the gift God has given us, and all of us have a gift. Remember that. We, we, we did a spiritual gifts uh, several weeks. <clears throat> we spent on, on spiritual gifts back, I want to say, the first year I was here and had, a, had, had packed Wednesday nights. Everybody came in here and did it, did the inventories. Um, everybody has a spiritual gift, and that you use that in the body of Christ, in your family, in the body of Christ, to serve and love and, and help each other. Okay, and then notice the doxology in verse 11. Again, these doxologies that he, that he goes into. Um, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Okay, all right. The Lord's return, First <clears throat> uh, Peter 4, 12 through five fourteen. okay? So Peter is concerned about the tribulation, which was yet future, but was surely coming upon Christians. Now, I don't think he's talking about the great tribulation. He's just talking about persecution. Um, Well, no, I guess he says it is the great tribulation. Um, So thinking about this time of persecution 
that is going to come upon Christians for, for being so committed to Christ. So Peter is concerned about the tribulation, which was yet future, but was surely coming upon Christians. He begins in verse 12, okay? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So why, why is this happening to me? Well, I mean, if you've done something evil, then you're gonna have consequences, but, that, but you, you'll kind of, in your mind, you'll know why it's happening. What he's talking about is, is that people that, <coughs> that are not doing anything wrong, but yet this fiery trial comes upon them and you're like, well, well I mean, look, everything I do for the Lord, look at all I do for the Lord. Why, why am I going through this fiery trial and this, this persecution with, with everything I do for the Lord? And, and, he, and Peter's trying to prepare us. Don't, don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised when it happens. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, you deserve that if that's happening. If you're suffering because of that, you deserve it. That's outside the will of God for sure. But if you're doing good, you're being faithful to Jesus and you suffer, don't, don't despair over that because that, that, that's, that's gonna happen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, and all these teachings of Peter uh, concurs with Paul's teaching that the second coming of Christ is to be preceded by a fiery period of tribulation, and the Bible clearly teaches that, Okay. Moving right along, the Lord's return, uh, he gives us three citations here. Uh, we just read them. Uh, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad. <coughs> Sorry, when his glory is revealed. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. All looking future future for the second coming of Jesus. Do this because Jesus is coming. Do this because Jesus is coming. First Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And talking about the crowns um, <coughs> leads him to talk about all these crowns right quick as we, as we get ready to close out the study tonight. Um, so did you notice the crown of glory, he asked. This is one of five rewards uh, for the Christian. And if you've never studied these, it's, it's really neat to, to look over these crowns, okay? So we'll just do them briefly. The incorruptible crown, which means that the old nature has been conquered in your uh, faith and your, in your, um, your rebirth, your spiritual rebirth in Christ. And that's seen in 1 Corinthians 9. The crown of rejoicing is soul winning, people coming into God using you in the process of bringing other people to know, to know Jesus, that's the crown of rejoicing. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. The crown of life is, is for the martyrs, those that die uh, as martyrs for Jesus under persecution. They will be given the crown of life. 
uh, the crown of righteousness is those that don't shrink from Christ coming. Oh no, Jesus is coming back. Oh no, oh no. Like as soon as that moment begins to happen, you want to go run and hide. Well, this is for those that, that, that are just ready for him to come back. Nothing, nothing to hide from, nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. When, G, when Jesus uh, shows up at the second coming, I am ready, doing good deeds. I, I, am, I am pure. I am, I am ready for him, for him to come. That's the crown of righteousness. Uh, love the Lord's appearing. And then the crown of glory is for the faithful teachers and preachers uh, to receive the crown of glory. You know, have we, have we been faithful to deploy the theology and the ministry that God has, has called us for? You know, did we stand firm in the face of persecution? Uh, you know, did we teach the full counsel of God? Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so focused on, on preaching every word of the Bible because it's not my Bible, it's God's. He has given us a stewardship over this word to preach to his flock and, and I want to do it right for him because I want to please him. I mean, the, the crown of glory is, I mean, that's a wonderful fringe benefit, wonderful, wonderful thing to, to um, you know, to, to, um, to work for, but it's not the whole reason why I'm motivated. I want to, I want to please God. <coughs> okay? All right, that's it. And y'all aren't here to answer the questions, so we'll, we'll call it there. Let me read uh, this, the final greetings, and then we'll do prayer requests. So by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, Nathan, would you uh, stop that? I'm going to pull my computer up and so I can pull my emails up and read some prayer requests. All righty. Um, announcements for you. We will be meeting uh, Sunday unless, unless just something crazy happens. We'll, we'll be meeting on Sunday. I know it's supposed to be some bad weather tonight, but I mean, we, we just don't know till it, till it comes. But uh, financial con- contribution statements are available for pickup in the main foyer. Uh, they're beginning to go out, but please don't forget that when you're here next time. A business meeting that was scheduled for last Sunday uh, will be this Sunday immediately following worship. So please come, and when you come in, be sure and grab those documents back there so you can know what's going on. It should have been emailed out a couple weeks ago. Preschool and children's ministries are growing and looking forward to more growth in 2022. We need several more volunteers for those ministries. I don't know if you know this, but we have several couples, several couples in our church that are expecting children. And if I'm not mistaken, they're all going to be born right around the same time. So hallelujah, amen, nursery's fixing to get real busy. Uh, Winter Jam, our student ministry, our family discipleship ministry is going to go to Winter Jam on February the 19th. If you would like to drive or go to that, please let Brother Pruitt know or Miss Carol know so they can uh, get you uh, signed up for that. And don't forget the Wednesday night Bible study of of the hard questions. They have slowly begun to come in, but we need many more. We want to try to get at least 20 questions uh, so we can, uh, you know, really, really dig into the Scripture and help and help ourselves and help you with some of these difficult issues just like this one tonight that we looked at in Peter. Uh, that would be a great one. So somebody needs to request that. 
uh, but there's, there's many, many others, and hopefully in these last few books of the Bible, it may provoke you uh, to think about some more questions that you can send us for that. All right, let's see what else here. Um, uh, all, all activities for the rest of the week, I think I told you this at the beginning, have been canceled. Uh, there will be no senior adult uh, luncheon at the activity center, no men's breakfast Saturday. We're just gonna kind of hold everybody away, away from each other until Sunday, and then Sunday we're all coming back uh, for worship. All right, let's see here. <clears throat> Prayer requests. Of course, we've got you know several with COVID in the church, and I won't be able to remember them all. I'll miss somebody. Um, but there, there's enough to be doing what we're doing, so that's why we're that's why we're uh, quarantining just just for just for a few days. Let's see. Well, we're just about out of time. It's seven o'clock on the nose, so let me just do a let me do a prayer um, for everybody, and then we'll call it a night. Okay, let's do that. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you, of being a part of your church. As Peter wrote so clearly for the blessed hope we have, that we have such clear instruction on how to live our lives. Lord, I pray that in the chaos of our daily lives in the middle of doing the laundry and running from point A to point B and paying bills and being on time for this and being on time for that and just all the hecticness of life. Help us to remember you. Help us to take time out in our day to read your word and talk to you and to teach our children to do the same. And I understand how hard it is. I understand. It's just riveting from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed. It's like endless chores and endless things that we have to do. But we have to remember you. And we have to remember how blessed we are that we are a part of your family. Father, I know there have been prayer requests that have come in today over email. I mean, so many it's, it's impossible for a human being to remember them all. But we are so thankful that you do and that you answer those prayers plus all the prayers around the world to your pleasing and perfect will and for that we are eternally grateful. Father, we pray for those that are sick with COVID. We pray for those that have had recent hospitalizations We pray for those that have family members that are struggling. We pray for our church and we thank you so much for the great year we had financially here at Parkway Baptist Church. And we thank you for us being able to probably move forward with our building project very soon. We thank you for the recent guests that we've had I thank you for the gracefulness and the flexibility that our church has with staff that has families that that need ministry. And we're just, most of all, Lord, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. 
And just when we close our eyes at night, we think about him, his life and his death and his resurrection and his current ministry at your right hand. And know that if this world goes dark, we will see the light of Jesus. And that's all that matters. Because one day that will happen. One day this life will go dark. And the only thing that will matter is that we know the Son of God, that we know Jesus. And so we are so thankful to you, Lord Jesus. So thankful to you for providing for us the way you do. And we're so undeserving and many times so ungrateful. Help us with that, Lord. Help us to be more sacrificial with our lives, to be more mindful of those that are in need around us. And entrust us, entrust us here at Parkway with more, with more members, Lord. Send them to us. We will love them, care for them, and build them up in your word. This we promise. So Father, again, I thank you so much for your love and for your kindness. And please give us a safe trip home and a good night's sleep and help us start tomorrow with joy in our heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good night, everybody. And I've got faces out here tonight, faces here. Uh, somebody put some pictures up out here. So God bless you, we love you, and see you Sunday.